to Trivial Knowledge, a little bit about a whole lot. My name is Stephanie, and I'm excited to bring to you this next episode of Trivial Knowledge. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Myself, I love reading through all the events that happened back in 1998 and learning more about the foundation Jim Kelly created in honor of his son. Now before we start, here's a little bit of background for those listening to this podcast for the first time. Each episode brings you a weekly dose of knowledge from five different topics drawn from four broad categories. And to add to the fun, one topic will be acquired from a random Wikipedia page. With such an extensive range of topics, there's going to be something here for everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Now let's dive into episode 7, Racing Towards the Record. Social Sciences A sculpture in the center of an ownership discrepancy called The Three Dancing Maidens depicts three young women with happy expressions dancing in a circle together. Walter Schott, a German art professor and sculptor who studied at the Prussian Academy of Arts, created the original sculpture using girls from Berlin as his models. Schott created sketch after sketch and cast after cast, but had difficulty creating a sculpture that he was happy with. In a quote from the article, The Lost Maidens of Berlin by Matthew Scheer, and published in Smithsonian Magazine in June 2018, Schott said, To represent three very mobile figures atop a round, narrow disc so that they make an impression when seen from all sides has got to be one of the most difficult undertakings. Until 1901, that is, when he met a man named Rudolf Moss while attending a function at an art salon in Berlin. Rudolf Moss was the head of a newspaper empire that oversaw 130 newspapers and with that was one of the most influential men in Germany. In a conversation with Moss, Schott learned of his interest to place a large decorative fountain in the courtyard at his home on Leipziger Platz. This was the inspiration that Schott needed. And several years after this conversation, he finally completed his sculpture. The final piece was placed in the courtyard in the early 1900s. Now this is where the story of the original Three Dancing Maidens gets even more interesting. Let's fast forward to the present day where Wally Mercero, a wealthy investor from Northern California, made it his life mission to track down all the cast of the Three Dancing Maidens. This journey started on a visit to Central Park's Conservatory Garden, where he discovered a cast of the sculpture, which had belonged to Samuel and Minnie Uttermeyer. The sculpture called to him, and over the following two years, he was able to track down five more versions of this sculpture. He found three casts of the three-quarter scale, one in a Berlin garden, one in a park in California, and one in a private park in the Austrian Alps. Along with the full-size sculpture in Central Park that led him to embark on this mission, Mercer Rowe also found full-size versions in Denbrandt Park in Antwerp, Belgium, and in the courtyard of Bergschlitz, a fancy hotel in Mecklenburg, Germany. But now the question was, which full-size cast was the original? Now we know that Rudolf Moss died in 1920 and passed his newspaper empire to his daughter Felicia Moss and her husband Hans Lachmann Moss. Thirteen years later, in March of 1933, the family received a visit from a Nazi officer named Wilhelm Ost. 
Ost informed them that all of the family's assets were to be turned over to a fund aiding World War I veterans, which, unsurprisingly, turned out to be a fake foundation. The family had no choice but to relinquish their assets to be allowed to leave the country alive. Their art collection, started by Rudolf Moss, was auctioned off by Berlin auction houses, and in 1938, the Moss Palais was turned into the headquarters for the Academy for German Law. During his time as headquarters, the famous fountain was replaced by a lion, sometime before the Palais was destroyed by the Red Army in 1945. Now moving forward in time, back to Mercer Rose search, we know that the fountain in New York City was not the original, as paperwork showed that the Uttermeyer estate received the fountain directly from Schott's workshop. The Antwerp fountain was also proven not to be the original, as it was installed in 1911. This left the fountain at Bergschlitz in Mecklenburg. Before becoming a hotel, the castle was a summer residence of a 19th century count named Hans von Schlitz. It was bought in 1930 by Emil von Stoss, a close friend of a high-ranking Nazi leader. More recently, the hotel has been bought by a man named Armin Hook. Hook has refused multiple requests that the fountain be tested and if proven to be the original, be returned to Moss's heirs per the Washington Principles signed by 44 countries, which state that art stolen by the Nazis should be returned to the original owners or their heirs. There is currently a legal fight between Hook and Moss's heirs over this fountain. The remainder of Moss's art collection is also being located by the Moss Art Research Initiative. If you would like to read more about this fountain in the search for Moss's art collection, Smithsonian Magazine published a wonderful article entitled The Lost Maidens of Berlin. I will have a link to the article on my website. Sports and Entertainment If you have a child, you may already know everything you ever wanted to know about Team Hot Wheels. If not, well sit back because you're about to find out. Team Hot Wheels was a series of four animated movies released between 2014 and 2017 based on Mattel's Hot Wheels toy line that many of us grew up playing with. The movies, all directed by Matt Danner, were released through a variety of distribution platforms. Four main characters featured in the films, Gage Green, Brandon, Rhett, and Wyatt. Grant George voiced the leader of Team Hot Wheels, Gage Green. He loves to drive fast but has a fear of hamsters. His catchphrase in the movies is, It always comes down to speed. Ben Diskin, the actor who played Sylvester in Kindergarten Cop, voices Brandon. His car, in the initial movies, has unique in-car technology to include super boost, spiral saws, and a force field. His catchphrase is, Brandon Likey. Rhett. Voiced by David Lodge, who also voiced Tender Heart Bear in the 2010 Care Bear cartoons, is a comedic in Team Hot Wheels. He enjoys driving his car and also practices karate. His catchphrase in the movie is, I'm okay. Last is Wyatt, voiced by Nicholas Roy. He is the only team member to have been raised by his grandmother, and he uses the catchphrase, Wyatt style, baby. The very first film in the series, The Origin of Awesome, first aired on June 7, 2014, debuting in theaters across the United States. 
Team Hot Wheels has to stop a mysterious black car that generates an orange track wherever it goes, creating ridiculous transformations in raging monsters. The Skills to Thrills was released on August 17, 2015, with Team Hot Wheels having to defeat Larry's evil twin Gary's invention, the Nitrobot, and save driving. October 28, 2017 was the release date for the third film in the series, Search for the Fifth Driver. This film is unique in that it is a choose-your-own-adventure driving challenge where the viewer has to show they have the speed, power, imagination, and intelligence to become the fifth member of Team Hot Wheels. The last film, though released third in chronological order, was called Build the Epic Race and released on October 5th, 2015. Team Hot Wheels challenged the Row Pirates in the Epic Race to save Hot Wheels City. Prior to the release of the first movie, a real-life Team Hot Wheels was already performing incredible driving stunts, some of which landed them in the Guinness Book of World Records. One stunt, the Double Loop Dare, took place on June 30th, 2012 at the X Games in LA. It was the first time two cars entered a vertical loop at the same time. Greg Tracy, a professional stunt driver with numerous Pikes Peak championships, and Tanner Faust, who has won three gold medals in the X Games and is also a pro rally and drift driver, performed the stunt. To prepare for the seven Gs of force they would experience inside the loop, the duo actually trained similar to military pilots to get themselves used to the high G forces. The track itself was modeled after Mattel's Hot Wheels Double Dare Snare toy racetrack set. NASA lab experts, roller coaster engineers, and stuntmen helped to design it. The optimal speed of the cars had to be carefully calculated as too slow and the car would fall out of the loop, and too fast, the G-force would become too dangerous. Both drivers entered the loop at 52 miles per hour, completing it almost simultaneously with Tracy finishing slightly ahead of Faust. What did the drivers have to say about their experience? Well, when talking to ESPN, Tracy said, That was unbelievable. I tell you what, I'm at a loss for words. That was absolutely the coolest thing I've ever done. It was a handful trying to land it and get it slowed down. I knew Tanner was right behind me, and I was just hoping we weren't going to tangle before the end. Faust said, That was pretty hardcore. The seven Gs? I almost felt my chin hit my lap, I think, in the loop. I felt like I was in a toy. To see a video of this stunt, as well as an additional record-breaking stunt, the corkscrew jump, please visit my website, www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com, where I will have links to the webpages. Science and Technology the Women's Engineering Society of the United Kingdom is currently completing the creation of a centenary trail map that showcases both new and improved Wikipedia entries on historical women engineers. The map itself can be found at www.wes.org.uk. Today, we are going to focus on one of those first women engineers, Margaret Dorothea Robotham. Margaret Robotham was born on June 19, 1883 in Plumstead, Kent, England to parents John Edward Robotham, a shipbroker, and Miriam Ann Isaac. She was raised as part of a large family with five siblings, William Bevel, Claude, Violet Morell, Mildred, and Emma. 
Her initial schooling was at Blackheath High School, an independent school for girls in Blackheath Village. She was an excellent student and obtained a London Matriculation Class 1 certificate, allowing her to attend Cambridge to further her studies. At Cambridge, she attended Girton College, established in 1869 as the first women's college in Cambridge, where she studied mathematics, graduating in 1905. She then received an additional diploma to teach from Cambridge Training College before obtaining her first job teaching math at Rodian School for Girls in Brighton, England, one of the best academic girls boarding schools. She remained at this job for seven years before leaving in 1913 to complete a six-month course in motor engineering at the British School of Motoring, her first venture into engineering. After completing her Royal Automobile Club's driving certificate at the school, she returned to teaching, crossing the Atlantic to take a position at Rupert's Land Ladies College in Winnipeg, Manitoba. After a short stint in Canada, she returned to the United Kingdom in 1917, this time joining the Galloway Engineering Company at Tonglin in Scotland. Here she became the machine shop and work superintendent and became known for riding her motorbike around the area. From Tonglin, she briefly worked at Swanson Pump Company in Newcastle, England as assistant works manager before joining Model Laundries in Wheelstone, Kent, where she worked under Ethel B. Jane, who had also been Prime Minister Lloyd George's advisor on women factory workers before and after World War I. After leaving this job, she returned to Rodian School briefly before being appointed director in 1927 of the electrical engineering firm founded by her close friend, Margaret Partridge. The company offered electrification projects across Devon, England before the national grid was formed. It was also during this time that she became mentor to a young Beatrice Schilling who, as an aeronautical engineer, would become famous for developing the RAE restrictor, which improved the safety of combat maneuvers for British pilots in World War II. Nina C. Baker quoted Beatrice Schilling in an article on magnificentwoman.co.uk on Schilling's initial thoughts about her mentor. Schilling said, First memories of Miss Robotham. I'm afraid they're more humorous on the whole such as picking Miss Robotham up to give her a lift to St. Davis Station on my motorcycle in those days of tight skirts. Miss Robotham's knees were showing and a police constable on point duty stopped us and reproved us. Margaret Robotham stayed in this job until 1952. After retirement, she moved in with her friend Margaret Partridge at Harpet House in Devon. Both women remained active in town, overseeing the village woman's installation of electricity to the village hall. One of her biggest contributions to engineering, though, was as one of the founding members of the Women's Engineering Society, formed in 1919 after World War I, and is the oldest women's engineering organization in the world. The leading founding member was Lady Catherine Parsons, with Margaret Robotham and her friend Margaret Partridge being two of the original signatories on the Deeds of Covenant. The organization was created to be a voice for women engineers, as the women who had taken up engineering jobs to replace men during World War I 
were now being forced out by employers and trade unions who were against their continued employment. Margaret was a council member of the society until 1944, though she remained involved during her entire life. The organization launched the National Women in Engineering Day on June 23, 2014 for their 95th anniversary and in 2019 celebrated their 100th anniversary with the centenary trail map discussed earlier. Today, the society focuses on promoting the study and practice of engineering and other sciences among women, as well as advising the UK government on employment practices for women and promoting corporate gender diversity. The society welcomes both women and male engineers to join and participate in the society's goals. Along with an annual conference, the Society also publishes the Woman Engineer Journal, which not only celebrates the achievement of women in science, but also gives an engineer's view of the work in different engineering disciplines. If you enjoyed learning about the life of Margaret Robotham and are curious about other women engineers throughout history, please visit the Women's Engineering Society website at www.wes.org.uk. Geography and World Culture Today, we are going to learn about a specific population of people in Sicily, Italy, who speak an isolated variety of Gallo-Italic dialects called the Lombards of Sicily, the Gallo-Italic language was created when the Gaelic influence of the new settlers was added to the developing Sicilian language. The Lombards of Sicily arrived during the Norman conquest in Sicily in the 11th century as soldiers and settlers from northern Italy. The migration started after Norman King Roger I of Sicily married Adelaide del Vastro, a member of the Alera Mitchi family. It had taken King Roger I approximately 30 years to gain complete control of Sicily, and by 1080 he controlled most of the island. After the conquest, many Lombard colonizers left their homelands in Piedmont and Liguria to settle in Sicily. Thus began the Latinization of Sicily, with immigration encouraged from the Norman, Provencal, and Breton areas of France in the Alaramici fiefdoms of Piedmont and Liguria in northern Italy. People from these areas were granted lands and privileges to encourage immigration to strengthen the number of Latin people in Sicily, who were in the minority at the time. The northern Italian settlers became known as the Lombards of Sicily, with Lombardy being the name of northern Italy in the Middle Ages. The Lombards of Sicily settled in centers historically called Opita Lombardorum, and in many of these places, their dialects are still spoken today. Piazza Armarina is a commune of the province of Enna, Sicily. The area populated since prehistoric times became a Lombard commune during the 11th century. Today, it is famous for its Roman villa, which contains large mosaics in the Villa Romana del Casal dating back to the 4th century AD, and has been part of the UNESCO World Heritage since 1997. Each year, on August 12th through 14th, the town holds the annual Palio del Normani, a reenactment of the arrival of the Norman Count Roger I to the city. Idona is another town in the province of Enna. 
whose name comes from the Arab word meaning higher water spring. Located next to the archaeological site of Morgantina, it was affected by the 1693 earthquake which destroyed many towns in the area, and thus most of its architecture is in the Baroque style. If you would like to learn more about the archaeological site Morgantina, please visit my blog on my website at www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com where there will be a post on it in the future. Another Lombard commune in the province of Enna is Nicosia, believed to have received its name from St. Nicholas or from the Greek saying, City of Victory. King William II made it a royal city, and it played an important strategic role due to its location between Palermo and Messina. The last Lombard commune in the province of Enna is Berlinga, one of the prettiest villages in Italy. The name comes from the Latin words Belunca, meaning grotto or cave, as a village has many caves used as small houses. It is dominated by a large medieval castle that dates back to the 11th century. San Fratello is a commune of Messina and was named for the three pious brothers, Alfio, Serino, and Filadelfo. Founded in the 11th century by King Roger I's wife, Adelaide del Vastro, it is famous for San Frantilano horses, which are descendants of the Lombard Knights horses. It is also the town Al Pacino's grandfather emigrated from in the early 1900s. Novara di Sicilia is another Lombard commune in Messina and sits in the mountains that overlook two ancient cities. Legend says that Cyclops inhabited the area, but it is even more famous for being the historic home for the tournament of Mayokino. Mayokino is a type of cheese made from sheep's cured milk, and its round shape led it to be used in skill competitions during carnival starting around the 17th century. A rope is rolled along the diameter of the cheese, which is then used to shoot the cheese in a spinning movement for 2 kilometers along a down-sloping path. The land is also famous for its hazelnuts, and in October, there's a big festival to celebrate its famous hazelnut sausage. Your best chance to hear the Lombard dialect, which today is spoken by approximately 60,000 native speakers, is to travel to these provinces of Messina and Enna in central eastern Sicily. Today's Random Topic Our random Wikipedia page topic again graces us with the privilege to learn about a topic you otherwise may not care to know much about. But if you woke up this morning wanting to know everything you can about moss, specifically a subfamily of moss called, excuse my pronunciation, Psilocynae, then you're in luck. The Psilocynae is a subfamily of moth of the family Taneidae. Briefly, going back to introduction to biology, when discussing animals, we learned that the scientific classification follows a very specific pattern, moving from kingdom to phylum to class to order to family and finally subfamily. The Taneidae family falls under the order of Lepidoptera in the Insecta class under the phylum of Arthropoda in the Animalia kingdom. Hungarian entomologist 
Lazio Gazmani is credited with first describing the subfamily in 1968. Most of the species of this subfamily are found in the Afrotropical region, though one species was described in China as well. Its family, the Taniidae family, is the first very large family of the Lepidoptera order. The family was first described by Pierre-André Latriel in 1810 and contains more than 3,000 species. The family consists of moths known as fungus moths. The majority of moths are small or medium-sized and many of their larvae feed on fungi and lichens, hence their name. The moths are typically gray or brown, but some tropical species are colorful. Some members of the family have also evolved to feeding on store fabrics, with the most common of these being the common clothes moths, case-bearing moths, and the carpet moth. These types of moths are better known as household pests. One fascinating moth in the Taniidae family are the Ceratophagia, which feed on pure keratin, including horns and hooves of dead mammals and shells of dead tortoises. I hope that this has quenched your thirst for knowledge about moths, but don't be surprised if there is more to come in the future, thanks to the wonders of the random Wikipedia page. And that concludes this episode of Trivial Knowledge, a little bit about a whole lot. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you were able to take away some interesting facts that were new to you and that you can share with friends and family or at your local trivia night. If you would like to read the blog post on the Morgantina, would like links to more in-depth articles on topics you enjoyed, or would like a sneak peek about next week's episode, please visit my website at www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. That's www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. If you have questions or would like to leave comments about today's episode, please email me at trivialknowledge5 at gmail.com or contact me via social media links on my website. I look forward to our new adventures next week when we learn about the scientists who answered the age-old question, why is the sky blue, and much, much more. I will end this episode with a quote by Frank Herbert. The beginning of knowledge is the discovery of something we do not understand. Join me next week to learn a little bit more about a whole lot.